The B Rad Podcast is brought to you by MoFo, male optimization formula with organs to boost testosterone. Brad's Macadamia Masterpiece, mind blowing nut butter blend, Chili Pad, temperature controlled mattress systems, Inside Tracker, blood, DNA, and fitness tracking data all in one, and New Optimal, three nootropic supplements designed to improve focus, memory, and drive. And check out the BradKerns.com shop page, my personal selection of favorite products with great discounts for health, fitness, and peak performance. Listeners, I have to update you about an awesome Black Friday special from Inside Tracker, our favorite online portal to gather all the information in one place to track your health long term, your genetic information, all your blood tests, as well as your exercise data. You've heard me talk about it before on the show. It's really fun. If you go over there and check out their homepage, you'll learn all about the services they offer. But right now, you can save $200 on the Inside Tracker Ultra. Ultimate plan plus a free inner age report, the most comprehensive way to get personalized insights into your body's well being. Inside Tracker's personalized nutrition and performance system provides the most detailed analysis of your biomarker data from blood, DNA, lifestyle, and fitness tracking. It gives you the power to live a healthier, longer life through concrete, personalized action plans. So here's what you do. You go to insidetracker.com slash bradpod. B-R-A-D-P-O-D, and you'll save $200 when you order the ultimate plan plus the free inner age calculation. And I think I told you before, I was so excited to do these cool, fun inner age calculations, and they spit out my inner age was like 63 or something. I'm like, holy crap, (laughs) you're supposed to be going, hey, I'm 37, even though I'm 56. Uh, So I had some things to correct. It was really great to uh, go and do repeat blood tests and... and, uh, up my supplement game and figure out uh, some of the red flags that were up. And that's what Inside Tracker is all about is kind of your partner to carry on. So please visit the site and don't forget to go to that special landing page, insidetracker.com slash bradpod. Hi, listeners. I welcome you to another enlightening conversation with Australian endurance and life coach Andre Obradovic. This is his fourth appearance on the show. And again, we get into some important topics, especially relating to the overarching theme of how to pursue your fitness goals in a healthy manner, even extreme endurance goals, which can often compromise your health. Uh, I wanted his opinion on this emerging concept about whether cardio is even a necessary component of a well-rounded exercise program, or if you can even segment the concept of cardio independent from uh, all other types of workouts. In other words, you get a cardiovascular training effect when you're lifting weights, sprinting, and so do you need to get on that Stairmaster and go steady state at comfortable heart rate to 
put the pieces together for your fitness program. And he's a hardcore endurance guy. Uh, he thinks if you do it the right way, uh, it can be a very valuable skill. It can help with your fat burning at rest and in life. So I love that take on uh, the idea of where cardio could fit in a well-rounded endurance training, training program. Also, we get into some uh, other interesting topics. One of them is asking the important question of whether you're addicted to exercise. And I offer up or relate again the 11 questions that my food addiction guest, Dr. Joan Ifland, offered up to me during that show. Go listen to that one. It's very good about food addiction. So now we're going to overlay that into exercise addiction and how we can maybe um, adopt the healthiest uh, most balanced mindset, especially when we're driven, competitive, want to accomplish a lot when we're out there on the roads or in the gym. Um, we talk about how mainstream fitness programming is generally, by and large, too stressful for the average participant and why we see so much attrition in the ranks of the group training or the average gym goer who is well-meaning, goes in there, wants to get in shape. Uh, but the programming itself uh, is featuring workouts that are uh, slightly too long, slightly too difficult, done slightly too frequently with not enough rest in between. You're going to hear the word cortisol from Andre several times where he's talking about the challenges of balancing an exercise program with hectic high stress modern life, which it also lends itself toward the chronic overproduction of cortisol and all the adverse health consequences that ensue, especially the way that it inhibits fat burning and actually promotes fat storage. We get into, again, the topic of nasal diaphragmatic breathing that we covered at length in our previous show. And I check in with the good news that my Bolt score, my ability to tolerate carbon dioxide in the bloodstream, has improved quite a bit uh, over the months. And it's been a very slow, steady, patient progress. Uh, started out as pretty darn frustrating. And now I can get my Bolt score into that excellent category of 40 seconds or beyond, starting out with 20 seconds, which is like a barely passing grade. And I encourage all of you to listen to my highlight show when I talked about uh, the work of Patrick McCune and James Nestor in their uh, best-selling books that are out right now, The Oxygen Advantage and Breathe, and how I've really adopted this into my daily life as well as my workouts. So nasal diaphragmatic breathing, getting popular, lots of science and research behind it. And Andre's a huge fan of that. And it fits nicely in with his uh, kinder, gentler approach to endurance training. I hope you enjoy the show. Look forward to hearing your feedback. Email podcast at bradventures.com as always. And here we go. Andre Obradovic. Andre Obradovic, all the way from Australia, a repeat guest, very popular guest on the show. I love the emails that I get from listeners uh, kind of uh, following up on some of the topics that we've hit. And in fact, we gathered some questions. And so part of this show will be addressing some Q&A from real live people out there. Uh, but we always have fun things to talk about. And uh, one of the things I want to do is, is check back on some of the um, topics of discussion we had last time. And in general, say, hi, how's everything going down under? And how, how's your summer going? Oh, yeah, middle of December here, middle of November. Well, summer's good, actually. Um, sun's out. It's getting warm. It's nice. I'm in shorts today. You look like you're quite cold. Um, we have had a lot of rain recently. 
Um, but yeah, summer's looking good and looking forward to getting out in the sun to get some more vitamin D, actually. It's, uh, and, you know, we're opened up now, so we're allowed to actually do things after two years of horrible COVID restrictions. You know, the city I live in has, been the, has won the world record it's actually run by communist dictators. It's, it's won the world record for the number of days we've been locked down. And, and when I say locked down, I mean not even being able to go five kilometres away from our home. So people in America would have, wouldn't understand some of that, I don't think, maybe how ridiculous it's been. But we've won the world record, so that's something to be proud of. But we're allowed to actually go and do shit now. We're actually even allowed to get on a plane and fly to another part of Australia, not all of Australia, because some parts didn't spend money on their hospitals and the premiers there are using that as a, they're not using that as an excuse, but they know if COVID gets into their state, they'll be decimated at the next election because lots of people will die. So, you know, Western Australia, as an example, has been locked up for nearly two years. You can't go there except football teams can and celebrities can because they bring money in. But normal people can't go. There are people there of like, well, we haven't had people dying, so why should we get the vaccine? Whereas every other state is like 90% vaccinated where I am. So we, we can actually leave Melbourne and fly to London, but we're not allowed to go to Perth, which is in our own country, for another two months. It's all political. They're just trying to do what, save people from dying, even though most people that die generally are, you know, sick. Um, so anyway, yeah, it's interesting. Let's try and help some sick people today. Hey, that's the, um, I think, the, the longest discussion we've had on this podcast about COVID since I made the resolve to stay away from politics, global pandemics, things that I wasn't an expert about. And I appreciate your comments because you didn't uh, throw down with um, a, a crazy personal opinion, uh, you not being an expert either. And um, I'm, I feel uh, refreshed that, um, you know, there's there's ways to to back off from the craziness and just observe what's going on. Everyone's battling with it and must be great to uh, to be free and get out there and uh, hit the road, do some traveling. So thank you for the the update from down under. Yes, we can appreciate our whatever level of freedom we have. We can take a positive spin on that, especially with that story. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I don't even watch the news anymore. So, uh, you know, I'm so glad I deleted Facebook last year because I know what that would be full of at the moment. So, uh, so anyway, yeah. So we've got some questions from different people today, Brad, haven't we? For sure. Uh, one of them is... I think uh, just picking up our conversation from offline and knowing that your your business, your coaching is uh, quite integrated, you're helping people with all aspects of life, but you do have that specialty in uh, the endurance sports and particularly doing the endurance sports in a healthy way, honoring the aerobic training uh, philosophy that has been promoted by Primal Endurance, by Maffetone, uh, and, and your own uh, contribution and, and the great uh, talks and uh, publications you've put out. Uh, and now there's an interesting uh, message coming out uh, from different folks that the, the whole um, rationale for performing sustained steady state cardiovascular exercise is being second guessed. Um, John Jaquish wrote a book called Weight Training is a Waste of Time and So is Cardio and goes into great detail with a lot of scientific research supporting his uh, contention that 
Um, you get a cardiovascular training effect, even when you're doing strength training, even when you're doing high intensity training, and it's such a profound stimulus that it arguably, um, is more of a, a cardiovascular stimulation than the steady state stuff at a comfortable pace. Um, Doug McGuff says the same thing in different ways in his book, Body by Science. But what I'm getting at here is that, um, there's so many wonderful, enjoyable aspects of endurance training and going out there and enjoying nature and taking a trail run and uh, surpassing your previous best. We've talked plenty about uh, the dangers of overdoing it with, with too much endurance training or too much of any kind of training can get you into big trouble. Uh, but, you know, I, I wonder what your take is on this idea that um, the, the intended benefits of cardiovascular exercise might be we, we might broaden our perspective a bit to think that, you know, going into the gym and stand, uh, standing on the stair machine for 45 minutes while you're watching TV, um, you might uh, achieve those objectives and more from doing something different. Yeah, I think, um, <clears throat> I think that people, def the risk with um, doing excessive uh, cardiovascular, you know, cardio exercise for people that are the A-type personalities, you know, we've seen lots of uh, incidents where perfectly so-called fit people but not healthy people have died. Um, so I think people that are, are devoted, as you say, devoted enthusiasts probably go too far. And as we've talked many times, you know, they want to run, they want to ride, uh, they want to push themselves on the treadmill day in, day out, and they don't incorporate other lifestyle practices um, or other routines that can benefit their health. And I think that's where the biggest risk is, that people that, you know, people that we're not made to do the same thing every day. So people that don't get into the gym and do strength, appropriate strength training can be at a disadvantage. Um, I think the social aspects of getting out with people and doing different types of activities is very important. Like you say, getting out in nature and just being able to be a bit more flexible with what we're doing for our exercise or, as I say, movement. So even changing our language away from saying, uh, I have to do my exercise today. I like to use the word movement. How are we going to move today? Because moving could be shifting, you know, like as an example, we've just cut down four trees on our property and over five days I, I hardly did any running or swimming. I did gym, but I spent those four days shifting about three tonne of wood, splitting it and shifting it in a wheelbarrow. So lifting, working so my cardiovascular system wasn't being used much, but, you know, lifting and pushing. Um, so I do think you're right. We do need to really think about people's mindset about what is it about pushing themselves cardiovascular-wise in exercise? Is it this belief that the more calories I expend help me lose more weight? Uh -huh. Or is it the more cardio, the more I think I'm going to improve my the harder I make my heart work, the easier it's going to be. Well, that's flawed, in my opinion. We, you know, you and I both know, and many of the listeners know that that's totally wrong. We should be working at a more comfortable pace. So, um, I think looking at each individual and looking at their health, and then 
those people being able to determine what is healthy exercise, what is healthy movement patterns is something that's important to think about. But um, I think there's a balance between movement, cardiovascular specific exercise, high intensity work, gym work and other things out in nature that we can do that we need to consider. Right. And I think, like you say, if you if you train to an extreme, we all know that you're going to be facing health problems, uh, potentially serious ones, as we've seen with the, the big shots that have gone down with uh, serious heart problems and other misfortunes. Uh, but even if your goals are of the extreme nature, I feel like you are um, almost by definition compromising your pursuit of all-around fitness and your pursuit of healthy living and longevity because you have uh, decided to uh, contest five different uh, long-distance triathlons and a couple ultra marathons uh, in the same year, year after year after year. And, you know, we have the um, desire to be competitive, to, to beat our past results. And the more narrow your fitness goals, the more of the sacrifice you make to the extent that um, we see a lot of people walking around with tremendous fitness capabilities in a very narrow area, uh, but kind of uh, low scores across the board in other areas of uh, fitness, health, and longevity, um, including myself, because when I was racing, uh, I was you know going really fast at Olympic distance, swim, bike, and run. Um, but I couldn't lift a sandbag to, uh, to, you know, save the driveway from the rainstorm without waking up the next day and being stiff and sore. And so my, you know, everything was devoted to a very narrow cause. And that was, um, a tough way to, to go through life. If I'm, you know, broadening my goals to something besides the, uh, the clock and the finishing time. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, that, that's one reason why this week I thought, I'm going to cut back on some of the exercise and shift all that wood because it's actually labour. It's always people, one of my clients call it yard work, you know, work outside in the sun, uh, listening to some of your podcasts, of course, while I was doing that, but just getting outside and working. And, you know, one of the other things, although it's a little bit of a tangent, having other interests apart from just endurance sport. So, if you bear with me, I used to love photography. I've got six cameras. In fact, uh, oh, here's one of them here. It's called a, it's a Nikon F5. It's the last professional film camera that Nikon ever made, and it uses film. And it's a manual. I use it in a manual way with film. So I haven't used this beautiful camera for probably 10 years, and I pulled it out after I was doing all this yard work because I was observing plants, observing flowers, observing nature, and I bought a roll of film and I shot a roll of film for the week to get back in balance instead of just focusing on this running, swimming, riding, gymming. And it was, I think that gave me some energy back and some calmness back as well. So balancing some of those things we like to do and being a bit more spread across other things instead of this narrow focus, not just of triathlon and endurance, but life in general yeah good point i think um the great athletes embody this mark allen used to take off in the middle of summer 
when everyone was dipping into that overtraining because the season had been going on for a few months and then it was time to build up for uh, the, the Ironman and escalate the training volume. And he would go camping with the Weechal Indians and spend seven days in a tent out in nature when everyone else was uh, starting to obsess about the championship races coming up. And he was famous for coming back to town, whether it was Boulder, uh, wherever he was mixing with the other athletes, and he was refreshed after seven days off um it didn't seem to catch on uh, like it should have uh, but there's a lot of examples about that i love the documentary and written material about usain bolt where he was widely uh self-admitted as well as his coaches and other athletes would talk about how usain was kind of lazy in training usain liked to party and go to the discos at night uh, you had to drag his butt over to the track to get the work done and um if you think about this is one of the greatest athletes in the history of uh, of humanity maybe the greatest because his competitive event is the most accessible uh, sport on the planet uh, even more so than kicking a soccer ball around which is pretty accessible but anyone can run the 100 meters and probably every human who's ever been born has at one point contested a foot race and we've identified some fast people and they go uh, escalating all the way up to Olympic level, no matter what country they're from. And here's this guy who dominated to the extent that no one ever has. Uh, so if he was lazy and haphazard with his training and would take the winters to, to spend more time in the disco and he's breaking world records, maybe he's setting the example that a lot of uh, tightly wound people can take a look at and maybe bust out their 10 year old cameras in the name of, you know, over overall peak performance, happiness, long-term enjoyment, uh, and, you know, kind of sustainability. Yeah, because we, we can get in a rut and just a routine of churning and churning and churning and just not actually reflecting and doing something different. So maybe all those disco moves he was doing might have helped with his uh, glutes activation maybe. Yeah, I think also um, there's... Uh, you know, there's a, um, a trade-off where we get this instant gratification and this satisfaction of the ego demands by writing another entry into our training journal. And we get, uh, in many cases, a burst of uh, feel-good hormones into the bloodstream after yet another medium to difficult uh, caliber workout. And so, uh, we exist in a world now where we have a lot of uh, dopamine triggers and a lot of uh, addictions across society, addictions to social media, to um, text messaging, to the stimulation of the mobile device, to the streaming of uh, entertainment content anytime we want. Uh, and we can we can sit there and, and watch five shows in a row if we want to, unlike, you know, 20, 30 years ago when we had to sit around Thursday nights at 9 p.m. if we wanted to watch our favorite show, and that was it for the week. And mm. so, we're, we're surrounded by um, potential for uh, consumption, consumerism, uh, you know, instant gratification from uh, delicious treats in the dietary realm. Um, we can go into uh, video games, pornography, get all our needs and, and whims and satisfying met at any time. And it's easy to lump our exercise habits into that uh, very distressing pile because we can do the same thing where we're, we become um, addicts by and large healthier than addicted to uh, harmful substances. But there's still that addictive element that uh, a lot of people might want to reflect on and think, 
gee, you know, should I pick up my camera this afternoon rather than um, head back to the gym with sore muscles and a scratchy throat? Yeah, absolutely. I'd encourage your listeners that think they might be addicted. So, you know, once again, another tangent, but I haven't had caffeine for two years because one day I had to have a hormone test and you can't have caffeine. And at the end of the day, I was shaking. And, <laughs> and my wife is like, are you okay? And I'm like, oh. She goes, what have you done? I said, well, I haven't done that. Done. I haven't had tea. And she goes, how many cups do you normally have a day? I said, eight. And she goes, well, that's why you're shaking. So I gave up tea. But in terms of exercise, I would say anyone that thinks that they can't go for a day without exercise and they start to get anxious, try and go a week. I'm so excited to introduce you to Paluva. This is a new zero-drop minimalist shoe with the distinctive five-toe design from my main man, Mark Sisson. Paluvas give you the most authentic barefoot-style experience, but with sufficient cushioning so you can use them for all manner of daily movement, especially walking and many other fitness and athletic activities. Paluvas are also incredibly stylish, so you get a barefoot shoe that you're not embarrassed to wear around in daily life. It's been so cool to see the popularity of minimalist shoes grow over the recent years, but Paluvas are a step ahead of every other zero-drop wide-box shoe because of the critical feature of individual five-toe articulation, a separate slot for each of your toes. This allows for correct dynamic movement of the foot through the walking or running stride, which is impossible when your toes are encased into a single box, even a wide box. Well, you might know that minimalist shoes have faced controversy in recent years for causing injuries from inappropriate use. So here is the big picture mission. We want to get you walking in paluvas, living in your paluvas, going barefoot in your home or other safe areas as often as possible. Go ahead and use your specialized cushiony running shoes or your basketball shoes, work boots, high heels, things that you want to wear when you want to wear them, but wear your Paluvas as much as possible to reawaken the natural functionality of the human foot to stand, walk, run, and perform. Do you want to try a pair? I'm certain that when you put them on and walk around, you are going to quickly realize that these are the most comfortable, natural shoes that you've ever worn. They're designed to feel like you're, quote, walking barefoot on a putting green please visit paluva.com, that's P-E-L-U-V-A, and use the code BRADPODCAST and get 10% off your first pair. Paluvas, let your feet be feet. And just do other things. So still move, do yard work, do yoga, but and then see what happens. And then maybe you could reflect on, shit, I'm really a di- like a... Like I don't drink alcohol, really. Maybe I've had three beers in eight years, right? But So I'm not addicted to alcohol, but I was addicted to exercise. So it's something people can think about is what else can I do to use some of this time? Like Because that gives us a coping mes- mechanism. So if we get injured, like I'm going to have a knee meniscus operation on Tuesday next week. I won't be able to run for about six weeks, probably won't be able to ride for four weeks. Okay, so I'll do other things. You know, so maybe have, what's a coping mechanism if you get injured and you can't train? Do you go crazy? 
<laughs> just moderate. Moderate. I don't say everything in moderation because that's bullshit. But you know, moderate some of the exercise for a bit. Maybe over Christmas, chill mm. out a bit and do other things. I had a guest on my show, uh, Dr. Joan Iflin. She's an expert in food addiction, and she gave me uh, these eleven questions you can ask yourself to determine if you might be addicted. I'll listen to, uh, I'll, I'll lay them out there really quick and we can all reflect on them. Uh, one of them is unintended use. I don't know how exactly that fits with exercise, but maybe um, you, you had a 30 minute break in your day and you just were compelled to go out there and hit the road. Uh, number two is to have difficulty cutting back when you should. Number three is more time spent than you uh, originally planned. Number four is uh, there's cravings that are occurring. Uh, you, you know, that, that wanting to get out there and that frustration of not being able to. Number five is uh, compromising uh, the fulfillment of other roles and responsibilities in life. Number six is it compromises your relationships. We know that to be uh, widespread in the endurance sports because of the time required to train and how that fits into the other life responsibilities, unlike someone who um, might be addicted to uh, high jumping. At least my practice is over in, in 30 minutes. I, I can't be out there any longer than that. But um, relationship problems, number seven is uh, losing out on uh, potentially other fulfilling activities. You talked about your photography habit. Uh, number eight is um, the use becomes hazardous, and I'm going to put overtraining in there. Again, these are uh, directly uh, questioning for food addiction, but we can uh, apply those over to exercise. Mm. Um, number nine is in spite of knowing better, you still go out there and, oh, my yeah. gosh, people, um, raise your hand if you've ever had a stress fracture. Uh, I had mine in, in college, and I remember the ridiculousness and how pathetic it was to end up uh, on the table getting a bone scan and getting confirmed that indeed I had a stress fracture because there was so many warning signs over and over and over. My shin was throbbing after workouts. And I remember my very last uh, workout with the track team at UC Santa Barbara, I lived a quarter mile away from the track in the dorms and I uh, you know, just pop over there and meet the team and do our warm ups and start practice. And on that day, my leg hurt so much that I had to walk and basically limp a quarter mile over to the track to report for practice. And I told the coach that my shin was burning and he said, okay, well, uh, just do some strides barefoot on the grass and pop in and out to the activities that we're doing. Uh, that was his answer rather than how incredibly effed up is this, that a kid is limping over to the running track to participate in, you know, high level division one collegiate sport where everything's so serious and competitive. And I can shake my head now, but at the time, you know, that, that was a tough one and mm. training in spite of knowing better. I think that that is what a stress fracture represents. Um, then finally, just to finish this off really quick, uh, number 10 is doing more and more uh, than you did previously to kind of get the same, uh, the same satisfaction. And then number 11 is doing it for reasons other than, uh, it's written here, hunger, but other than, let's say, fitness goals, you're doing it as sort of that, um, that outlet for uh, addictive stress. tendencies, right? Yeah, or, or yeah. stress. It's the only way you release your stress. Whew. Okay, then we're five and uh, six. I like five and six are really relevant. I reckon very, very, very relevant. Oh, and she also said you reminded me. She goes, okay. Here's my list of eleven things. Um, if you have more than six, uh, you, you're qualified as an addict. And she goes, guess what? Everyone has three or four. Uh, she was talking about um, 
eating. Uh, but, you know, we all, anyone who's interested in fitness, three or four are just going to fall in there without, yeah. you, you can't help it. And I'm not going to say it's terrible, but um, you're very close to addiction, uh, just getting out of the gate and saying that you have some race numbers on your wall. Yeah, it was a really, uh, I remember that um, interview. It was really interesting. It was, uh, it was good. I found it. Uh, I, I actually didn't think about how it related to exercise, but yeah, now that you've gone through it, I think a lot of those do. You could actually incorporate that into your uh, primal, primal endurance personal fitness training course if you haven't finished it already, but, you know, a section on what are the warning signals that you're addicted or your clients are addicted to exercise. You could come up with your own list. Yeah, and it is nice to reflect that, it's certainly a heck of a lot better than, you know, the, the truly destructive addictions that we have. And when I mentioned some of those other ones, uh, referencing the great book by Dr. Robert Lustig, The Hacking of the American Mind, he claims that these, you know, very powerful corporate profit-seeking interests are luring us into addiction in all these different forms, especially the, uh, the, the processed foods that are so, that are literally addictive to the uh, the appetite receptors and the dopamine pleasure centers in the brain, and then all the other stuff that they throw at us, particularly social media, uh, internet use, you know, the platforms that are designed to be addictive because that's how Facebook, Instagram, uh, and the rest of them uh, make their money. And so we just, um, we can kind of uh, get negative and, and doomsday about all this stuff, or we can realize that we have to use tremendous discipline to, you know, navigate that path to where we have uh, devotion and, and satisfaction from doing, uh, you know, great challenges and being super interested in things, but stop short of the, you know, the negative aspects of uh, being addicted. Well, I, well, you know, someone should write a book on how the fitness industry has addicted us to becoming sick. Like, seriously, you know, like nearly every, in fact, I started work with a client this week, 40-year-old guy. He sent me a text saying, I'm in the gym, personal trainer's killing me. I couldn't do the session and I had to throw up. And, and you know, we start next week. But I said to him, once we start, you're going to cut that back and you're just going to go for walks because he's like 30 kilos overweight. Yet he, like many people, and not probably not many of your listeners because they you know they've reincarnated in understanding what health and fitness is about is that most people still are baffled and uh, convinced and addicted by the fitness industry because it makes sense you know you exercise so the more exercise we do the more money the fitness industry makes the more clothes we wear the more shoes we wear out the more gym memberships we have the more protein shakes we have the more subscriptions we have to stuff it's, it's almost the same. The food industry, um, we got, we got um, convinced and lied to by the food industry. We got addicted to food, which made us sick. And I believe the fitness injury industry is exactly the same. Calories in, calories out, work out more, get healthier, but we know it doesn't work. So that's an interesting thing to talk about there. Oh, my gosh. That's a great point. And it is right there in the same uh, the, the same lineup as the peddling of disgusting, toxic junk food. And it really bugs me because there's so many well-meaning people that have a desire to balance their life and be more active and be more fit. But the majority of the mainstream fitness programming is too uh, stressful for the average user. And same with the 
the, the business of uh, the races and the glorification of the Ironman distance as the ultimate accomplishment in triathlon. Hope I'm not hurting your feelings, man, but I know you're a 70.3 specialist. And I'm going to say that if the Ironman were 70.3 instead of 140.6, if Ironman represented those amazingly long and challenging and grueling distances of the half Ironman, we would all be better off. And it's an extraordinary athletic accomplishment to go hard for four or five hours, which is an extreme endurance contest. Forget about the 12 and the 13 and the 14, because for the most part, most of the participants in Ironman are just trying to survive. And you can go out on the marathon course and walk briskly and talk to your favorite athlete for a half a mile, because that's the speed that they're going at. So, it may not even be as athletic of an event as a 70.3 or an Olympic distance where you're actually racing and you're huffing and puffing and you're trying to pass the athlete in front of you to, to gain one spot in the rankings. Uh, but for some reason, uh, you know, the, the, the marketing forces uh, have, you know, glorified this ridiculous event that started with a bunch of drunk Navy guys in Hawaii sitting around and bragging and boasting and seeing, you know, who could be the toughest athlete in Hawaii. So, they paired the three uh, main uh, signature events in each sport that already existed uh, on the Hawaiian Islands. And that was the birth of the Ironman. Same with the marathon, 26.2 miles, the distance from marathon to Athens, Greece. And for, for what reason is this the the template event across the world for uh, aspiring long distance runners when you know going for 13 miles for the average uh, busy soccer mom or uh, you know hardworking uh, corporate person uh, that represents an amazing accomplishment and we should we should stop there unless we're you know at the Olympic level and able to train all day and and do these amazing things but for some reason we've all bought into it. Uh, you go to the, you know, neighborhood health club and they have hour long classes, boot camp, stepping, uh, throwing the bar around, pedaling the bicycle. And if you walked in there and took the heart rates of all the participants, they'd be well over aerobic limit. And you'd be, you know, seeing people with muscle breakdown and inflammation markers and all these things going on where if they cut everything in half, we'd all be better off in many ways. Oh, absolutely. Like when I used to work in gyms, people would think I was an absolute clown because I would say, you know, I'd run my cycle classes and I'd say, we're just going to do a comfortable session today. <laughs> and, you know. Wait a like, second. I paid $9 for this class. What do you mean comfortable session? I, I can I do know. that myself. I know. And so I'd be saying you've got to breathe through. And I wouldn't even do the class. Like I'd say I'm not, I don't need to do this class to get fit. Unlike some of the other people that came and taught, they were overweight <laughs> and they're doing it for them. They're overweight because they're doing six classes a day and the cortisol. And so they're following the same approach as most of the people coming to the class. So I don't even actually know why someone would go to a fitness class to work with a trainer who was overweight. Like, I don't understand what that's about. So first thing is I wouldn't actually get on the bike most days. I'd be walking around, checking their technique, asking them, to breathe through their nose and that would be the next thing. What do you mean breathe through the nose? We're supposed to be puffing and panting. So you'd be on this whole education process and some people would just walk away, but then other people would come because they, after a while, they'd say, oh, actually, I feel better. I don't feel so exhausted. I feel better during the day. So, but you know, 80% of people would think you're an absolute clown, a freak, because you're not killing them in the class. It's all, all that... Um, 
addiction slant indoctrination of the sickness industry. It's a masterpiece. It's a masterpiece. Hey, this is going to be one of my favorite commercials because I get to introduce you to the delicious, nutritious, life-changing Brad's Macadamia Masterpiece. This is a mind-blowing nut butter blend that will soon ascend to your number one go-to snack, treat, or accoutrement for anything from dark chocolate, a cucumber celery smear, or mixed in with yogurt, oatmeal, cheesecake, or with a spoon right into your mouth, heading south. Let me, let me, let me tell you what I created in my kitchen through whirlwind experimentation and extreme sampling to my VIP product testing crew across the nation so far with 100% approval. In this beautiful jar, we have macadamia nuts, walnuts, cashews, the rare and precious coconut butter, coconut flakes, cacao nibs, real ancient sea salt, and organic MCT oil. Every single ingredient has been sourced to origin to be the very best we could find from around the world for the absolute highest purity and nutritional value. We run this product in small batches with a boutique family business in the Pacific Northwest, and everything is cold-pressed to preserve nutritional value. So if you like eating healthy, it's a dream come true for all those who are keto, primal, paleo, and vegan vegetarian too. I come in peace, my global healthy living friends. Masterpiece, that is. Try some now and it will change your life. I promise. If you don't like it, send it back to me. I'll eat it. You can order Brad's Macadamia Masterpiece on Amazon. Simple, simple. Or if you're bold, daring, and adventurous, buy three and get a bottle free at bradventures.com. Buy six and we'll send you eight. Christmas shopping early instead of late at bradventures.com. Check it out. Brad's Macadamia Masterpiece. Uh. Whew. Right. Then we're just uh, piggyback over to there where all the people who get injured or broken down can go uh, take part in that uh, flawed, flawed pattern too. Uh, I guess we should... Uh, loop up and, and close some loose ends here and then and get to the questions. But uh, that starting point that I uh, put some conjecture out there where um, you can go and do uh, a series of hex bar deadlifts and box jumps and rope climbs and get a profound cardiovascular training stimulus because the cardiovascular system responds to all muscular activity. Um, could that be an alternate path where the person climbing the stairs and watching TV might want to consider a more varied approach to fitness and still get an A plus in cardio? Oh, I think so. Um, because it'll stimulate different parts of the body. It'll help our bones, our muscles get a different effect from running, different load patterns, uh, probably better for bone density if we're working on heavier weights, probably less chance of injury in some aspects, less cortisol rushing through the body, more dexterity with our hands and, and our limbs doing different coordinated movements, I think. But I think people often get scared of the gym. You know, one of the questions I got from someone was they like you know, they'd like to work out in the gym, but they get scared of all the muscle heads, all the guys pushing the big weights, especially females. So having an approach to use the gym and different parts of the gym based on your experience and your um, experience with lifting weights and using a gym uh, can be important to think about. But, yeah, I think a variation is very important for multiple aspects. Yeah, and I suppose unless we're 
talking about the pursuit of elite level success in, in the various sports. I suppose if you had a starting point of broad-based fitness competency through a variety of workouts, and then you said, hey, I'm going to go uh, try for this uh, one-time uh, 70.3 triathlon event, then you can overlay uh, a long distance swim here and there and get out on your bike for several hours here and there. But that person pedaling the bike who has a baseline foundation of doing uh, nice sets of hex bar deadlifts and other things such as uh, core exercises and things that are going to come into play when you're riding your bike for five hours, uh, arguably they could excel to a level uh, as good or, or better than someone who's, you know, pure, uh, pure on the mileage and, and going out there and having a very narrow approach to endurance training yeah i think so and incorporating yoga as well so that when you're on a bike you're more in a more aerodynamic better position like you you have a very aerodynamic position on the bike i don't um because i need to do more yoga um yeah and and those other modalities can help uh reduce injuries of course and and make our body more effective and efficient and reduce the cortisol so you know if we're constantly working out of math or pushing ourselves too hard we'll get all this extra cortisol coming into our body which will reduce our fat burning and one of the ultimate goals as talked about by mark allen and many others is fat burning endurance so it's like this sword double-sided sword you know you could do too much cardio stop you getting ultimate body composition uh more insulin coming in stress in the body detracts from your performance, whereas doing some other gym workouts could make that more effective. Uh, listeners, that's a great point. I, I imagine most of us are uh, aware of that concept, but just to quickly um, break it down a little, when you're talking about that excess or that overproduction of cortisol, actually the chronic overproduction of cortisol is the red flag that we have. Cortisol is the preeminent uh, fight or flight hormone. So when you engage in any form of activity, whether it's an endurance workout, strength training session, whatever, um, you're going to uh, desirably uh, promote the, the fight or flight response. You're going to elevate heart rate, respiration, um, everything, all facets of bodily function are going to be elevated to perform physically. And then what you want to do is wrap things up and get back into a rested state as quickly as possible, rather than uh, live this go, 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 hectic, high stress lifestyle where cortisol is being uh, dripped into the bloodstream. Uh, for hours on end because you're so busy at work or you're doing this extreme endurance training. And when you chronically overproduce cortisol, tell us what happens to your fat burning capabilities there. Well, it switches off, doesn't it? Because our body doesn't, you know, innately our body wants to burn fat. And when we're running or exercising, and we're breathing through our mouth, coming back to one of our favourite topics, mm -hmm. the body doesn't understand that the saber-toothed tiger is not chasing it. So it automatically goes into this uh, sympathetic nervous state where we're stressed and we, our body thinks we're in danger. So it wants to get, it wants to get the optimal fast machine going, which the body thinks needs glucose. You know, so it starts to shut down those fat burning processes. It starts to, you know, go into glyconeogenesis if we haven't got enough 
sugar or glucose available, it converts it out of our liver, gets it into our muscles ready to work. And, and that's just more stress on the body, even though we're not actually in danger. We're just doing a run. <laughs> like we right. don't need it, but our body, our body hasn't evolved enough to understand that. Just like when we're breathing through our mouth running, our body doesn't understand that there's not a saber-toothed tiger. We're just going out for a run. So we don't need to be stressed, but our body can't understand or our reptilian brain doesn't understand that. The amygdala gets alerted to this and it sends signals around our body through our pituitary gland and all our adrenal glands and everything. It's we're in danger. So this is what the body does automatically, but we don't understand that. I want to tell you about wildhealth.com. They're an online provider of comprehensive precision medicine and health consultation services. They offer DNA analysis, custom lab panels, extensive medical intake form with family history and lifestyle preferences, and regular online visits with a board-certified precision medicine physician and a health coach whom you can message anytime through their convenient app. Wild Health evaluates your data to determine what you need for nutrition, exercise, sleep, and supplements, and you can experiment, consult, and retest to get everything dialed in. You'll get a cutting-edge epigenetic test of DNA methylation to calculate your all-important biological age and have fun lowering your age over time instead of following the mainstream path to accelerated aging. It's time to strive for awesome instead of just normal. Did you realize that only 6.8% of Americans are deemed metabolically healthy and only 2% are declared optimal? That's disgraceful, but you can turn things around quickly. Please visit wildhealth.com and you will see that this is the absolute gold standard of personalized medicine and it's available to you right now. Telemedicine available anywhere in the USA. Wild Health is generously extending BRAD podcast listeners 20% off the cost of membership. Just visit wildhealth.com slash Brad or use the code BRAD20 at checkout to get 20% off and start taking control of your health today at wildhealth.com slash Brad. So our default human metabolic state is to be fat burner. That's how we survived for two and a half million years, by the way. It wasn't from having three regular meals uh, with a breakfast uh, a breakfast bar and a, a shake for lunch and a sensible dinner. It was through being able to, first of all, store and then uh, burn energy. And so that's our default state uh, at rest and at low level activity. And then we interfere uh, when fight or flight uh, mechanisms come in and we switch over to burning preferentially glucose because it burns more easily and more quickly. Um, so just, just helping the listener out, if this is new information to you, that's a big concept to take away that if you over-exercise or live in a, a hectic high-stress lifestyle pattern, you're going to shut off those, those fat-burning mechanisms in favor of uh, living off of sugar. And that means that you're going to be craving sugar in the diet. But as we can all relate at times when we've had a, a personal crisis lasting for a week or, or nine weeks, you know, uh, going back and forth to the hospital because there's a vigil and a loved one is suffering, or you're going through an incredible time of personal turmoil, you're not even hungry. You wake up in the morning alert, full of energy, your fingers are shaking a little bit, and you rush off 
off into your busy day. And that's that uh, gluconeogenesis occurring. That's the body making its own uh, sugar from uh, lean muscle tissue. And so you can actually go through the entire day or week wired uh, feeling energized because of this fight or flight mechanism uh, kicking in in a prolonged manner. And then guess what happens when you abuse that, which is so common today from overtraining patterns, from working too hard in the corporate setting, all that stuff uh, turns into big trouble because you become exhausted, burnt out, and everything falls apart somewhere down the line. So we have to kind of get back to this default uh, human metabolic state of fat burning. And I think we should transition. We did a lot of talk on breathing in the last show, but you've brought it up a couple of times. So I want to, I want to check in on that. But when you, uh, discipline yourself to take, uh, breaths that are, uh, through the nose only activating the diaphragm and getting a full exchange of oxygen, the most efficient breathing, you actually do change your metabolic state in favor of fat burning and in favor of parasympathetic, that's the rest and digest, rather than the sympathetic, which you mentioned that term too in passing, uh, that's that's associated with fight or flight function. So, controlling your breathing is a way to control our physiology and our metabolism. Absolutely. Yep. So, and you explained that really well, that um, how, how that all works and comes together. And, and people just need to take that on board that, you know, excessive endurance activity at a high heart rate isn't going to help us and that's why the math math method um and nasal breathing when you combine those two with low carbohydrate or keto eating is just probably the number the number one group of three things in the world that can change your life if you're an endurance athlete but it takes patience and it takes time and it takes trust but go and listen uh, to Mark sorry, Allen, not, you know? not interested patience time and trust forget that Come on, yeah. man. What else? What else you got for me? Yeah. Well, I know. Listen to Brad. Look at Mark Sisson. Talk. Listen to. You know, I, I reckon there's four or five pros now in the world. They're all doing this, but they don't tell people because you know they obviously don't want. Like Pete uh-huh. Jacobs. This is our Pete Jacobs, an Australian who won Hawaii Ironman, trains and fuels. He's a coach as well. He follows a math method and low carb. Uh, you know, you just got to. People sometimes don't want to take the medicine. <laughs> right. We want the quick fix. Just open the damn mouth and start start sucking air. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I've been devoted to this uh, practice since I was exposed to the wonderful books that have both hit bestseller status recently. Uh, James Nestor's book, Breath, and um, Patrick McCune's book, The Oxygen Advantage. Uh, but I want to ask you, because uh, I did have a, a an interesting exchange with uh, my main man, Dave Cobran, who's a, a longtime listener and, and was a guest on the podcast. And he says, you know, he wants to go out there and enjoy his morning jog down the beach and to be bothered with the objective to shut your mouth and breathe through the nose and deal with perhaps the spray and the uh, annoyance of, um, you know, recalibrating. Um, it's it's a little bit of a hassle and I would totally agree with that where I'm, I'm out of the track trying to execute with my drills and do a good workout. And now I also have to think about shutting my damn mouth the whole time and at times straining to breathe. And I believe in the, in the science and the wonderful argument presented in the books about the Bohr effect, B-O-H-R and the actual, you know, biochemistry that's at play here. Uh, but I haven't really noticed this amazing performance breakthrough that now I can run circles around the track and not breathe as hard. So I'm wondering, uh, from your perspective and with your clients, um, 
how do we stay the course? Like what sort of positive reinforcement can we expect or, or try to pursue uh, to know that this is the way to go? Mm, yeah, good question. So first thing would be uh, all of my clients do a math test once a month. So I'm now starting to ask them to integrate uh, doing the um, Bolt score test on a regular basis and then we track that on a Google sheet so they see the progress. That's one thing. Um, doing the exhale test as well. So those two tests become part of their regular math testing. And then also asking them to think about the four gear process that you spoke about with uh, McKenzie. Yeah, Mc McKenzie. Brian McKenzie. Brian yeah. McKenzie, the four shiftadapt.com. Yeah, the four four gears you use. So asking them to not just go out and run and not breathe through their mouth, but think about the warm-up being, you know, gear one, activations, etc. What what you know, just not just blindly running by breathing through the nose, but actually saying to themselves, well, I'm going to do my 10-minute warm-up as I'm running on the beach before I do my intervals, breathing through my nose, and the rest of the run I'll do it as I wish. So sort of taking a progressive approach so it's not just do your whole run breathing through your mouth, but doing parts of it. So for me, I try and do my drills and strides uh, holding my breath. But that, and then at the end, I try uh, at the end of it, I take one big breath and then I hold my breath. So I integrate different capabilities or different techniques. So that's what I try and talk to my clients about is don't do the same thing all the time. You know, maybe one, one run a week is a breath hold run or, or a breath hold or nasal breathing run. Another run might only be in the warm up and the cool down. Another run might be just during the drills uh, and vary it and shake it up a bit. And do you believe that you are getting some performance advantages, performance benefits from your adherence to the practice? Yeah, absolutely. Like I even do it in the gym. So when I do my sets of push-ups, I do um, chin-ups and then push-ups, like no squats. I do hex bar deadlifts and then chin-ups. That's sort of like the set. And then I do push-ups and squats. I do my push-ups holding my breath. So I breathe out and I find I can get more push-ups without breathing. It's, it's really weird. Yeah. Um, Scott Carney detailed this in his book titled What Doesn't Kill Us. And he was talking mm -hmm. about uh, a lot about Wim Hof and the protocols that, that Wim Hof uh, recommends where you do some, uh, they, they call it um, controlled hyperventilation. And then uh, he was a complete novice and a professional skeptic. That's his area of expertise mm. with his writing is uh, exposing uh, gurus and charlatans. And, he, you know, he's an investigative journalist. And so he went in there with a completely skeptical attitude and describes how in his first session, he doubled his uh, push-up personal best uh, with his breath held. And um, biochemically, what was going on is he was sending more oxygen to his muscles. I think his baseline starting point of regular, you know, he did 20 push-ups to failure, and that's pretty good. Uh, and then he did 40 with his breath being held. And this is only, you know, what, seven or 10 minutes later from going into breathing protocols. So, um, boy, it's, it's heartening to see that uh, 
there's there's real examples of performance breakthroughs. And I'll share with you, Andre, because when we did our, I don't know if we did that uh, on camera. We we were we were zooming each other and doing the bolt score, and you just totally knocked it out of the park. People, this guy sitting here with his exhaled breath, just holding, sitting there like it's nothing for over 40 seconds. And I'm like struggling to get to 20 and maybe 25 if I have a good day. But I will say that over time, with sort of a, uh, a casual, not a, not an overly devoted approach where I was doing it too much, but just once in a while, I would go in and, and do another bolt test and another bolt test, which is a great way of training for it. And now I'm up to 40 routinely. And I can't even believe it's happened because I was so frustrated at first and it seemed like I would never get, never get anywhere because there's nothing like uh, wanting to breathe and, and not being able to. Uh, and, and it just, you know, it happens, it happens. Uh, but I have progressed uh, very uh, inching forward over time. And I do feel like it's uh, revealed in some of my sprint workouts where when it is time to go hard and, and go all out uh, for 200 meters, um, I, I finish and I'm not breathing as hard as I, I usually am. Uh, so I'm, I'm better able to process oxygen, I would argue, because of the uh, devotion to nasal breathing. And not yeah. that I'm doing it for the entire 200 meters, but like you say, with all my drills, I'm either holding my breath or breathing through my nose. Now, when I finish a 20-second difficult drill, like the, the B skips or the hamstring kickouts, I have to take one, two, or three breaths wide open, sucking air through my mouth. But then I make the effort to close my mouth mm. and pull large air through my nose and then slowly, slowly recalibrate back. Uh, and I think that's what you're talking about with the gears yeah. uh, where exactly. they're, they're just asking you to downshift, downshift and, and do it in a comfortable way. Yeah, absolutely. When I, when I come to Lake Tahoe to see you, we'll do some of those workouts together and we should do some videos. But I, that's exactly the approach I take. And, you know, listeners should, apart from buying Brad's books, you should buy the, that book by um, Scott Carney. I've got it and read it and the Oxygen Advantage because it explains all of that. Um, do you, do you, when you say breath hold and do the push ups, was he talking about exhale and then working, right? Not holding breath. Yeah, he's holding his exhale just as you yeah. do with the bolt test. Yeah. Uh, but in the in the story described by Carney and by many others uh, for this push-up test, it's after a uh, deliberate sequence of uh, controlled hyperventilation. Yeah. So I, I don't think you can just exhale air, hold it, and then go do a bunch of push-ups. You have to really prepare for this uh, with the protocol described. And so oh, it's kind okay. of a, kind of a different story. It's a, it's a yeah. little uh, it's it's kind of a parlor trick, you know, to to build up that um, yeah. that high level of uh, hypoxia, and then we used to do it as kids yeah. <laughs> for fun to see who wouldn't like how long you could do it before you'd faint or something. You used to do it as a kid, not in the water because that's how you die because your mouth right. falls up. Yeah, but but that yeah. but I actually exhale. When I do my push-ups, I exhale. In fact, tonight, right. two of my good buddies, Andy and Matt, are coming over and we do a workout in my gym. I, I exhale and then I do my 20 push-ups. Yeah, incredible. Um, and it's uh, it's kind of weird. And I kind of sat on the sidelines for a long time thinking, look, 
you know, I, I have enough air. It's not impeding my performance, whether it's a hundred meter sprint or whether it's a five K. And so I don't see what all this fuss is about. Uh, but then when you educate yourself, get into the books or listen to my summary show, if, if nothing else, um, boy, it, it's a real eye opener. And then if you think it's some uh, crazy uh, fitness guru promoting something new, um, you can go look up uh, the Bohr effect and learn about biochemistry where the, the greater uh, buildup of carbon dioxide uh, the more oxygen is dumped from the red blood cell, the hemoglobin, into the working muscles and tissues. So it's nothing that's in dispute. It's it's part of science. And now we have a chance to to really leverage it in the athletic and the fitness realm. Mm. And and you know, I was thinking, I wonder why, I wonder why it does that. Maybe that's a fight or flight automated response in the body. Like, like you just maybe think, why would that happen? Because our body is so smart. We're just stupid, right? We're dumb, but our body is smart. So maybe the body's saying um, there's no oxygen, there's danger, I, I need to fix this problem. Maybe that's that's why I wonder if anyone's done any research as to why that happens. Yeah, good point. Probably, probably someone would uh, offer up an expert expert explanation there but um in the meanwhile we can the the takeaway message well i think we we talked about the the takeaway message of being more carbon dioxide tolerant improving your bolt score uh, but i also like the really simple one uh that patrick mccune uh, threw us out there in the oxygen advantage where he said look here here's the here's the um the bottom line is to breathe through your nose only as minimally as possible at all times for the rest of your life. And that is the most efficient way to breathe as a human for all manner of health benefits. The nose is especially important for filtering air, warming air, taking the impurities out of air. Um, and boy, that was a, a really nice takeaway to think um, this, this thing that we've been told about taking a deep breath to relax. When you take a deep breath, when you breathe in more oxygen, it is actually a way to activate fight or flight and stress you out. And so when someone's stressed and needs to relax, we want them to breathe less <laughs> rather than breathe more. And so that's kind of a, a recalibration right there too. Yeah. And, and the other hint I'd help suggest to people is if they want to see how this works is get a whiteboard or a notebook and write down what you're doing. You know, today gym workout or workout in my office, 10 push-ups maximum was, was couldn't do any more. Next day, 15, held breath, could do 12, you know, like document what you do. So I do that with my chin-ups and push-ups. If I miss a week in the gym, I go backwards. I lose the benefit. Mm. But what I'm doing, you know, I just see that if I do two sessions a week and I'm doing 10, 10, 10 or 20, 20, 20, I'm holding my breath or exhaling and then working, I can then increase. So just documenting what you're doing so you can see the progress, that can help as well. Uh, a bunch of people threw questions out there. I don't know if we'll have time to, um, to get to them today, but maybe we should dabble with uh, this first one. And um, this is a really um, common uh, refrain from a lot of people where they're enthusiastic, they're starting to listen into podcasts, read books, talk to experts, watch stuff on YouTube, and there's a ton of conflicting information out there. Um, 
whether it's in the endurance training realm of how to prepare properly for a race. And there's so much uh, commentary about the uh, building the aerobic base and emphasizing uh, aerobic heart rates while you're training. And then there's other messaging that if you, you know, go for quality over uh, volume and, you know, push yourself and, and work your anaerobic threshold, um, that could be uh, a, a quicker and more efficient way to excel in less time. Um, then we have things like the um, integration of strength training and a broader application of uh, workouts, even if you have strictly endurance goals. And the person says, I don't know where to start. I've heard about periodization as well. So that's where we kind of um, have a different look with our workout makeup over different times of the year. Uh, and a lot of people ask me this too, because they're going, hey, the primal blueprint says you should sprint a little, you should lift weights and you should move around a lot. But then in primal endurance, you're talking about a base building period and then a high intensity period and then a rest period. Um, so, you know, where do I start? Um, what do you think we should follow uh, is, the, is the question in from real life uh, frustrated person there. Yeah, well, why don't we do this one and then we can hit the other ones another day because this one can be a long conversation. Just So just stop me or interrupt me if I'm going too long. So my thoughts on this are everything revolves around the person's background and their athletic experience, their injuries, their body composition, and that determines, you know, what approach do we take? Are they a professional? Are they an amateur? If they're an amateur, a weekend warrior, I'd be saying we always want to work on our aerobic base all through the year and I think the periodization thing often comes up because of northern American winters it's a you know like they only race in some areas of America and Europe they only race at certain times of the year so therefore why not use the winter mm. as a time to do something different whereas in Australia we can basically train all through the year it doesn't get that bad with weather. I mean, with the advent of indoor training systems, obviously people are probably training more through winter. But, um, you know, it can be very complex. I, I like to work with people on an approach that we look at a year's cycle of when their races are and we make sure that they are constantly working on their base. We intersperse some higher intensity work at specific times. We focus on race-specific skills as a, as a phase, as we're getting close to races, and we do have periods where we taper a little bit. But I bring that into a four-week process. So instead of looking at all these meso-cycles and macro-cycles and this whole religious dogma that's put out by USA Triathlon and Australia Triathlon Australia, because... I don't think that works because generally that's built up on a three-week build, one-week rest cycle. So what in, invariably happens is athletes are pushing themselves every week, three weeks, week after week for three weeks. This is the typical approach. I don't use this approach, the typical approach. And then they get to week four and they're so exhausted from trying to meet all the numbers and the and the sessions and getting up at 5.30 that they can't actually re they can't actually hit the goals, the training stress scores specified in week three because they've done two weeks of building. And then they get to week four, which is a rest week, and they're either totally exhausted or they want to train more because they think if they have a rest week, they're not going to be good. So I look at it a weekly cycle and I, I often say, well, let's do three big days a week if it fits with the client's time. 
and and I take that into my training. So Tuesday and Thursday and Sunday are my three days where I do quite focused sessions. So it's time, specificity and focus. So I know, and this is what I do with my athletes, is that Tuesday, Thursday and Sunday or whatever the three days are for them are what we call focus or key sessions. They could be a skill-based session. It could be an aerobics uh, nasal breathwork specific session, or it could be a high intensity specific session. But the other days are supporting days. So if we're working hard on Tuesday and we've worked hard on Sunday, Monday should be an easy, comfortable swim and maybe a gym specific workout. Tuesdays are maybe a solid brick session, but it's a focused day. It doesn't mean it's a hard, when I say hard, what I meant was it's a longer or more important session. So I change it from periodization that the typical approach is to more building it into a week so there's rest in the week so you don't lose a week every month so you know tuesday might be a focused bigger day thursday might be but monday wednesday friday might be easier days and god forbid you know saturday might be a whole day where you rest to do yard work but you don't lose one week every four weeks by doing that approach. And yes, including higher intensity work at any stage where it's appropriate. But if someone hasn't got a good math baseline, they need to do eight, probably eight weeks to 10 weeks of just math training with your math test every month and then reassess what's happened with the results. How's the person feeling? Do we inject some intensity? And if we do, maybe that's 10 minutes or five minutes of intensity in an hour workout. As little as that, you know, you've talked about that a lot yourself. A little goes a long way, especially if you can handle it and, and stay within your capabilities. And I think uh, that, that might be a good place to, um, to close the conversation here. Whatever's going on and whatever guidance you have or don't have, it's, it's nice to work directly with someone like you who can uh, give that constant feedback. For, but for the people out there who are just going at it uh, on their own, you can you know, get a lot of good feedback from yourself and your attitude, your willingness to train, desire to train is an actual uh, ranked uh, variable. Dr. Kelly Starrett cites research that this uh, continues to come out as number one on the list of uh, uh, track trackers to determine the athlete's readiness to train uh, better than put pricking the finger for the blood lactate machine at the U.S. Olympic Training Center and better than all the high tech stuff is just the, you know, the, the pure desire to train and whether you still have that enthusiasm and energy. And um, that's the thing that I like about what you just described is that, you know, there's not, you're never getting ahead of yourself and then hoping and praying you can hang on until your precious rest week, because uh, a lot of times the body will indeed uh, collapse in a heap, having uh, cultivated that fighter, that prolonged fight or fight stimulation to get through some predetermined workout uh, regimen, training protocol, and then you're, you've gone past your edge and then not only do you spend that week recovering, um, you're probably going into a detraining phase because you feel tired and broken down rather than constantly working within your capabilities and, and dabbling in some high-stress workouts here and there and then bringing it back to uh, the place where you can absorb and benefit from those workouts. Mm, exactly. So people have got to listen to themselves and just give themselves a bit of a break once in a while, you know? 
And if their <laughs> if their coaches writing them sessions that they're killing themselves every time, and they're not asking them to go to the gym and work on their muscles, they're not asking them to mm. do yoga, they're not asking them about their sleep, they're not asking them about their uh, resting heart rate, and they're overweight and they're not suggesting they reduce their carbohydrate consumption, then they've really got to think about are they getting the right advice from the right expert they can buy all the primal endurance books follow all of your stuff look at math phil maffetone's book and really learn a lot i can see you've got the big book of endurance training right there the yellow one up on your shelf i've got exactly the same book do your own research listen to luminaries like brad listen to phil maffetone and and change what you're doing Dr. Dre hitting it out of the park again. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, how can we connect with you? What's the best place to, to plug in? Um, best way is just uh, andreobradovic.com, my website. Uh, if you want to go on my mailing list, there's a subscription thing there. You can download my health and wellness app. It's 100% mm -hmm. free. Um, and I'm an Instagram. I get on that maybe once or twice a week and I don't have Facebook or Wastebook. Sorry, I deleted that, which is fantastic. Thank you, Andre. Thank you, listeners. Another great show. Da -da 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 hey, listeners, I discovered an awesome new electrolyte and triple enzyme powdered drink that's going to knock your socks off. It's called Bala Enzyme. And it comes in a convenient little pouch of bright orange powder that you pour into water for the ultimate electrolyte and antioxidant drink. It's simple, convenient, and yes, the orange tint comes from a potent serving of turmeric along with a clean and diverse assortment of enzymes and electrolytes and a perfect taste that's not fake or too sweet. Bala was created by husband and wife doctors to help their patients recover from inflammation, improve hydration, speed up recovery, even relieve joint pain, improve digestion, and boost immunity. I love their incredible devotion to product quality. There's a lot of research behind it. And I just sprinkle this packet into ice water, and it's so easy to stay hydrated because you absolutely enjoy the taste of the drink. Get their convenient little packets. They even designed it with the, uh, the tear half-torn so it's easy to open into the water. I love what they think of. And it comes in three exciting flavors, pineapple, lime, and berry. It's so potent, it might stain your fingers if you get it on your fingers. And yes, that's a good thing for a serving of turmeric that's that potent. It's also sugar-free, zero-carb, and promoting of the three R's. Rehydrate, relieve, and revive. Please visit balaenzyme.com, B-A-L-A-E-N-Z-Y-M-E. -E. And of course, there's a special deal for BRAD podcast listeners. 30% off your first order. Just use the code BRAD30 at balaenzyme.com. Thank you for listening to the show. I love sharing the experience with you and greatly appreciate your support. Please email podcast at bradventures.com with feedback, suggestions, and questions for the Q&A shows. Subscribe to our email list at bradkearns.com for a weekly blast about the published episodes and a wonderful bi-monthly newsletter edition with informative articles and practical tips for all aspects of healthy living. You can also download several awesome free ebooks when you subscribe to the email list.
And if you could go to the trouble to leave a five or five star review with Apple Podcasts or wherever else you listen to the shows, that would be super incredibly awesome. It helps raise the profile of the BRAD podcast and attract new listeners. And did you know that you can share a show with a friend or loved one by just hitting a few buttons in your player and firing off a text message? My awesome podcast player called Overcast allows you to actually record a soundbite excerpt from the episode you're listening to and fire it off with a quick text message. Thank you so much for spreading the word. And remember, be rad.